Hello and welcome to another episode of SBCC Vaquero Voices, a podcast highlighting the unique voices that comprise our campus culture and how we're all working together to serve our students in the community at large. As usual, I'm joined by my co-host, Akil Hill. What's good, y'all? And today we are honored to welcome Paloma Arnold to the show. Welcome, Paloma. Welcome, Thank Paloma. You. Yeah, long time coming. Our, our, our first guest and we, you know, we finally made it work. Listen, I want to just tell the listeners right now, we've been trying to track VP Arnold down for a hot minute now. <laughs> <laughs> Ever since the inception of this show, she was like the fe- first guest. She was ducking and dodging, but she's finally here, y'all. I mean, well, and, and very yeah. honored to be here. Thank you very much. <laughs> just, just very busy. And now, and yeah, you were the dean of student affairs when we first first asked you to come on the show. You're now the vice president of student affairs, and this is, uh, you know, we had Maria Villa Gomez on the show a couple episodes ago. She's the vice president of academic affairs. Could you go into a little bit too, in terms of the split of the position and 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 what your your role is? And I guess I also want to know what the difference is between your previous position as dean versus the vice president position now? If you could just go into kind of how the outbreak sounds, because it's a new position for everybody here at the college. Sure, so. it is a new position for all of us. So I think the, the split between from the EVP position to the VP of Student Affairs and the VP of Academic Affairs is something that the college has been kind of thinking about for, for a long time. It's something that most other colleges actually have. I really give Dr. Mario a lot of credit for making it actually happen here at SBCC. One of the reasons why I really appreciate that she moved this forward is because I think over the past probably 10 or 15 years, and Akil, I think you can probably relate to this also, the importance that student services plays in a student's academic journey, I think has really become more, you know, I want to say obvious to people. People understand more that student student services, student affairs plays a pretty important role in a student's journey. And so I think that the final piece to making that, really emphasizing that and giving student affairs and student services the importance it needs is create, was creating the VP position because it really allows somebody to have a voice at that table whose only and sole focus is student services and student affairs. You know, so everything that I know at SBCC really is all about student services and, and student affairs. And so being able to try to do the best that I can for to advocate for our departments and our students, I think is really is really valuable. And so I'm I'm really appreciative that we've been able to split the, the two positions finally. And I think the other question that you asked, Hung, was what's the difference between my previous position and my current position? And I think that's something that I'm still figuring out. <laughs> you know, this position is brand new. It's the college hasn't, you know, had it. And so trying to figure out what this position will mean, both for student services and for me personally, is something that I think will probably take us a little bit of time to do and, and to and to figure out. And I'm Really grateful that we just hired Christina Yerena to be the interim um, dean of student affairs to replace me while we're going through the recruitment process for the permanent position, and so that has been a huge benefit and has and has helped start to delineate our roles a little bit more. But I think it'll be a process. I think it'll be a process for all of us. I know it'll be a process for me, and I know it'll be a process for folks in student services too to kind of figure out, okay, who do I talk to? Where do I go? Who helps me answer this question? I think my style too is also one that's pretty casual. And I know lots of people in student services and on campus, and I like to kind of be in, in the mix. 
you know? And so I think trying to figure out how we're going to manage and work together is, is something that I'm hoping we do over the next, you know, I don't really necessarily have a timeline. I think we, we do it as we go and we learn as we go and we see what works and see what we need to improve and see what we can change and, and keep moving from there. It's, it's kind of a refreshing perspective on it because it's nice that you're willing to be flexible because a lot of folks come into these kind of positions and they either want to put their stamp on things or they want to stay within the confines of what that position has been. But because this position is brand new, there is no has been, and you, you only know what you knew as a dean. And, and as a dean, you were probably, it was just a lot, you know, like everybody is doing the work of, of multiple people at this point. Everybody's really overwhelmed. So the fact that you right. could be like an extra buffer or a support piece there to just balance that workload and figure out what goes where, and what, what makes it work into at the end of the day, serve the students as best you can. Right. I mean, it, it just makes a lot of sense. Just, just right. the way you broke it down, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, we, we have to be flexible because at the end of the day, and then you add on top of that, everything that's happened as a result of COVID and in student services, we've had to do things differently in ways that we not only have never done them before, but also in some ways never thought we could do them before. And now we actually find out, oh wait, there's a lot of good that came out of doing things differently and being forced to do things differently. And so how do we move forward figuring out what's gonna be best for students? And so I think as hard as it is and as hard as it can be kind of emotionally sometimes for folks, being flexible is one of the things that I'm trying to do most right now. You know, it's really something that I'm trying to prioritize, being flexible, being open to change, being open to improve, being open to feedback because it is a learning process. Yeah, and that and that piece of, even for the students, this is new for them as well. And this data that's being gathered right now in this moment and trying to kind of react to that and pivot off of the data they're providing. I mean, it's a lot to ask someone to have just lived through what we've lived through the past few years and then to kind of find a way to bring those thoughts into either words or writing or feedback that we, you can provide to the college. It's just a big ask along with totally. however many units they're taking and however, Absolutely. what they're, you know, whatever they're used to. So it's just this kind of, there is this kind of flexibility that's needed from everybody to kind of make the most of the situation where are we getting in the feedback the way we want to get it? Are we reacting to that feedback and are we reacting to it in a quick enough way to make a meaningful difference make in these meaningful. folks? Yeah. In the moment, because even turning that around and getting, getting some actionable consequences they can see in the moment. I mean, it, it can be hard, but I, I give a lot yeah. of credit to this administration and, and you know, Dr. Mario and, and the entire cabinet right now, they've been able to turn around and pivot and make the most of, you know, we've been getting some state funding here and there. We've, and you've been able to turn around in timetables that, you know, you talk about, we didn't know we could get it done. The public sector is not known for moving fast. Quickly. Yeah. No. This is not a tech company where you move fast, break things, you know, that kind of thing. But, but y'all have been moving pretty fast, you know, and, and in all things considered, Things have been turning around pretty quick where I, I feel like you you see I see a difference in a lot of students' lives in terms of the student emergency grants, you know, the COVID relief grants between the foundation and the money they were getting from the state. A lot of things have been moving where I I didn't think it would be possible. I thought there'd just be a million kind of like barriers up and, and we'll see what happens in six months. But no, things have been turning around in one month, three months, you know, weeks for for y'all, I, I guess, at times. So so really to, to commend y'all to be receptive to that because yeah, it, it's a big shift for everybody. But just to respond to that and 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 be up to the to ta to the challenge, I mean, that's that's it's definitely commendable. So thank you, I appreciate that. One thing that I, that really excites me about the position, uh, you know, other than you know you were selected to be in it, is also the accessibility of having the VP 
housed in the student services. That can't be understated. I know previously when Kathy uh, Scott was um, in the position, you know, she was, her office was located over in the admin building. And sometimes you just need, not that everyone should be running upstairs to your office, but sometimes you're going to, you need that. You need that, that, that access to, you know, the VP right there on the spot. And so that's one of the things. And also just reassurance that, you know, that the VP is in, is in the building. It, It means a lot. And so, you know, being in the missions for so long, it was always kind of like, yeah, you know, we always, I mean, I, I wouldn't say people felt like we were being left out, but it, we definitely needed to, to split the house and give we it. didn't the, necessarily mm-hmm. feel as much of a priority, I think. Mm. I'm glad to hear you say that it was a discussion about where the VP's office should be. Mm-hmm. And most of us felt it was pretty important to be in the building and I do try really hard to have an open door. And it's actually been kind of fun because in my new office, people walk by all the time and like say hi. And I'm like, oh, hi, everybody. So it's yeah. it's nice to see. It's nice to be back on campus. It's nice to have little chats, you know, with people and be able to just talk to people. But I've also had the opportunity to he- get some feedback, you know, about things that have been happening in enrollment services. And we've been able to, you know, implement some quick changes that, had I been in a different building or even in a different part of the building might not have had those just quick interactions where we're able to resolve things. And, and so I, am pretty appreciative of being here. And I think, you know, we have some more work to do to get the space and student services all settled, but I'm, I'm appreciative that I, that I'm in here and I, I like being with everybody and I like seeing the students in here and I like seeing everybody back in all of the offices and it's been good. Mm-hmm. that's definitely good for the culture as Han would say it's what <laughs> you know keeping a, a pulse on what's going on in the building and kind of gauging like we've when you start to move up in, in admin people feel that that admin is somewhere off on the on a different planet and so that's the piece that is so significant for me that you know seeing and knowing that you're you're in the student service building yeah, it's easy to get removed. I mean, it, you have to make an intentional effort to, and that's something, you know, that I want to try to do more and better too. I have my open office hours, which hopefully some people will come to. I had my first one and I had one visitor. So hopefully more people will come to the next ones, but also, I'm also going to try to go to different staff meetings and just hear from people and, and make myself more available because I know that not everybody wants to come into my office. Not everybody wants to come up here. So just trying to make myself more available to people is, is feedback that I received and, and think is a really, really good way to try to move forward. It's not just great that you're in the op, in student service building. It's great that you came up in the student service building. So you already had kind of a built-in kind of institutional knowledge of how, how things go and and where, where to pay, pay mine to and things of that sort. So you, as much as you're flexible and learning about how things are going, you were able to hit the ground running to a certain extent because you had a lot of built-in relationships. You, had, you have deep roots in that building. So it, it was really nice to see that when, when you got the position. I mean, I, 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 was, I was just overjoyed because it just, oh, you know, it, you. Just feel, it just feels right. feels right. Thanks, Hunk. <laughs> but I mean, going back to your earlier point about yeah. How important student services is in terms of a student, you know, how obvious it is that students need student services now. I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, as a student, for me, when I was a college student, you know, turn of the century, so it's a long time ago now, but I didn't even think about student services. I thought it was all on me to make this happen. I'm an adult now. I got to make this happen. I don't, I don't need anyone's help. 
And I was, I was terribly mistaken. It almost cost me getting kicked out of school mm-hmm. before, you know, and I still, even afterwards, even after I, I was saved by the help of others, I still didn't reach out as much as I should have. So in terms of, do you think the message is out there? Do, do a lot of, do most students know, and is it just built in at this point that they can come to student services and get help, whatever their problem may be? Or is there still like a, a kind of a gap there in terms of messaging? There's still there? a gap. We okay. still need to figure out, you know, what I think the shift that really, really needs to happen is not leaving it up to students to have to come to us and ask when they need something, but figuring out how we get to students more proactively. Instead of students having to come find the special program, how do we get the special programs out to students? And I know that that's something that that is not unique at SBCC. I think that's something that all colleges are really trying to, to shift, but it, you know, it's kind of that old making ourselves student ready, but how are we making sure that we are going out and helping to inform all the students that we're here, that these are all the services that we have, that you don't need to come find us and hunt us down and ask the right person, the right question to get the right answer. So I think we definitely have work to do there. I mean, I think, I think we've come a long way. I think we've also come a long way in that we offer so many, I mean, we really offer a lot of pretty incredible services for students now. We've really recognized that there are so many different needs that students have, and we have a responsibility to meet those needs if we really want to be serious about helping students succeed, especially students who have more significant you know, barriers or obstacles that they might need support with. So I think we've come a long way, and I think everybody in student services is really focused on that same goal, but I think we still could do more and do better. Yeah, there's like an interesting split because we, you know, student privacy is the the paramount. And in terms of you don't want to get, you know, like you can't broach any walls in that respect. But at the same time, in terms of you talking about getting out to students, you have to get that information because the students aren't forthcoming a lot of the time. So, right. I mean, I, you know, when I was at age, I, I was not, I didn't know who I was, first of all. And second of all, I wasn't about to tell anyone any any parts of my journey to figure out who I was. You right. know, I was I'll let you know when I figured out and come back. No, so it's I mean, it's it's an interesting, yeah, it's an interesting challenge. And and I know that y'all are always coming up with, with new and innovative ways to kind of tackle that challenge. And I know it's just gonna keep it's an ongoing thing. It's never gonna be solved, but it's it's right. good to know that, that that is on your on the mind, you know. Yeah, so. Definitely. So I guess um with the new position and it, I mean is there anything forthcoming that you want to talk about in terms of uh, upcoming plans or is it just kind of really as it goes and, and just day by day? Um, both. Uh-huh. I mean, it is definitely as it goes and day by day, but I think, yeah. you know, in terms of like what's coming up for student services and student affairs, like I mentioned earlier, really trying to figure out how we serve students best in this almost post pandemic world. You know, what does it look like to offer remote services? What does it look like to offer in-person services? What does it look like to offer a high flex or hybrid version of services? How do we do that well? How do we do that so that students know how to find us? What is it that students really, really need? You know, I, I think that we could do a better job of trying to hear what students really need and want, but how do we even get that information can be challenging sometimes. So again, how do we get ourselves out there to really hear from the students? I think that's something that's one of our big 
goals and challenges will be over the next couple of years. And, and I think also the, the other big piece for student services right now is for a long time, so we haven't been super intentional about where we need resources and student services. Things have sort of shrunk. People have retired and resigned, and we haven't done a lot of thoughtful or intentional planning about the structure and the organization of student services. And so that's a big project that we are actually going to start working on right away is what what should the structure of student services be? You know, how should we be organized? Does it make sense for some departments to be more closely aligned? What does our leadership model look like? What do some of our staff positions look like? So really just trying to take a look at student services in an intentional way and think about how should we be organized both to best be supporting students, but also to be supporting staff and departments and organizations, you know, within, within student services. We've gotten lots of new programs over the past years that haven't necessarily found like a permanent home. Um, So really being intentional about incorporating some of those additional or those newer programs, I should say. And so that's a big project that I think we will also be working on over the next year is um, the structure and the organization of student services. And right away, that just tells you why we needed a VP of student affairs because a Dean of student affairs can do a lot of the day-to-day to help kind of manage things. But in terms of having that high level over the top conversation about the future of student service and what the organization looks like and all that stuff, there's no bandwidth there. It's just, no, it's, right, just no. it's so busy right. that you, that that is right away. It just shows a use case and why we needed this position because right. we can finally have these conversations that we literally didn't have time for. Before. That we literally so. didn't have time for like the opportunity to kind of step back. Let's look at everything um, and try to move forward in an intentional way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Excellent. So we look forward to, you know, the fruits of that conversation and all that. Um, In the meantime, in the meantime, we'll segue into uh, uh, what, what brought you to SBCC, your, your path from, you know, where, where you were before. I mean, you sound, you've been at SBCC a while and you, and you're, uh, are you born and raised in Santa Barbara too? Born and raised in Santa Barbara. There it is. So, so the path is not long, but the path is, you know, the multifaceted. <laughs> born and raised in Santa Barbara. I'll give uh, Santa Barbara High and Akil a little shout out. Go Dons. Go Dons. <laughs> Class of none of your business. Exactly. <laughs> I'm not saying that number. <laughs> Although I do pretty much realize that I've spent a pretty almost half of my life at City College now. So, <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> um, so what brought me to S? So yeah. So born and raised in Santa Barbara, went to Santa Barbara High. Um, I'm a Bruin, so went to UCLA after high school, came back to Santa Barbara. And something that I think some people know that, but not everybody knows is that my dad actually worked at City College for a long time. So after college, I was applying for some jobs and he thought that maybe, you know, that I maybe should start working a little bit more than I was actually working and encouraged me to apply for a job at SBCC. Um, So I actually started as an hourly worker in the financial aid office 22 years ago. And so worked as an hourly worker in financial aid for a while. And then I was a student program advisor in financial aid and then moved over to EOPS. And I was the care student program advisor in EOPS for over four years. 
And then I became an academic counselor in EOPS and actually served EOPS and financial aid. We had kind of a split position for a while and then became just an EOPS counselor and then the EOPS director and then the Dean of Student Affairs. And then here I am now. So I kind of say I'm a second generation Vicaro because my dad was here for so long. Um, but yeah, now at this point I've been here for 22 years. And I actually, you know, when I was younger, used to totally roll my eyes at my dad and like, oh my God, how have you worked at the same job for so long? You know, but now <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, now yeah. I get it. I get yeah. it. City College it, is a pretty good place to be. It's that youth. When you're young, time t- takes on a different meaning. When you get older, you blink. You're like, wait a minute, I've been here for five years. Wait a minute. Oh, wait, I've, been for- I've been here for how long now? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I do have to say, yes, it's true. Paloma and I did we go to high school together. So if you guys want some insight, the inside scoop, you can find me in admission and records, <laughs> but I will have to say, I'm so excited because I'm like, I can't wait for this part of the show because I have Uh-oh. to let everyone, the listeners know Uh-oh. that you may not know it now, but Paloma was literally the shyest person on all of campus. She would walk past us. There was like an area in the, in the main hallway where all the guys kind of, you know, hung torture. out. Mm-hmm. Every time she walked by, you know, just everyone would embarrass me. Just to embarrass you, everyone would be like, Paloma. She would turn beet red, like I'd head down. Yep. Yeah. Shyest person. So, well, uh, thanks, Akil. Appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. I would actually say that I am still a pretty shy, introverted person, which was maybe the reason why I didn't come on this show for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> So maybe some things haven't changed all that much. Yeah, true, <laughs> true. That's true. Yep. So, yes. so in, term, in terms of starting as a counselor here at City College, I mean, mm-hmm. at, did you do your, your bachelor and your master's at UCLA or did you have to, or did you no, go and so come back? No, my, my bachelor's at UCLA and then started working here and then was working probably for five years before I started my master's degree and then did my, actually did my master's degree at Antioch. Um, so I actually did my master's degree with Chris Phillips in the career center and Sabrina Barajas in the counseling center, but it worked out really well because I didn't want to stop working. You know, I wanted to keep working full-time and Antioch's program was what it, it worked really well with my work schedule. And it, it was what I wanted to do. It was, you know, it was a little bit more, Antioch's program is a little bit more focused on clinical psychology. Um, and I wanted to be more of an academic counselor, but at the time they had a, a professional development career counseling track that would prepare me to be a, an academic counselor. So my, my master's is actually in psychology, but with an emphasis in career counseling and professional development. Yeah. I always, I always wonder about that because I know like I was such a terrible student. It was such a struggle for me to get my bachelor's. I don't know how folks are getting master's while they're working full time. And while that, you know, so I always like like to get that insight of, of how did you do it? Because I just the well, thought of it scares me and I won't. Here's I a won't. secret, Hung. Antioch is pass, no pass. All oh, of their grades are everything? pass, no pass. Oh. So. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes, I mean, to see. That's yeah, a game that, changer. Huh? Yeah. That helps. Game, game changer. Because the threshold for pass, no pass, I mean, at least, at, you know, Cal Poly was like D plus, C minus. And I'm like. I can do that. I can, you know, I can do a D plus. I can do a D plus. (laughs) I hope Dr. Maria doesn't hear this and be like, oh, uh oh, what were her real grades in her (laughs) master's? 
<laughs> no, come on, Santa. You see, Santa Cruz wasn't doing great at all for for how long? So yeah, right. we, yeah. So there, have, there's my, definitely room. My transcript from Antioch is narrative reports. Mm-hmm. Oh, excellent. So it is like you see Santa Cruz exactly. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I mean, yeah, and then not to discount that in any way because you know it's all about the learning process. What do you what did you learn? How did you learn? And how do you apply it? And as you can see, Paloma has has learned and applied all the way to the VP of Student Affairs, y'all. So the work speaks for itself. <laughs> you got nothing to prove to nobody. <laughs> I'll take a sip of my water on that one. <laughs> and in terms, I guess the other question is in terms of being born and raised and staying in town. I mean, there's a lot to be said for that too, because like I wished I wished I could still be in a, like, not like I could be in a living because obviously I'm here for a reason, but like, there's something, you know, that, that tie to your, to where you're from and like your, your roots and like where you grew up, like you, you have a deep connection to this community. Like it feels the same way where, you know, you, you, you're back here and there's a lot to be said for that. Cause like, I, I wished I could have made it work for myself in LA and I couldn't. And so like, you know, I'm here trying to do the best I can, but that there is that little part of me that, you know, there are someone's like, will you ever feel like a local in Santa Barbara? And I have to say, honestly, I don't, I don't think so. I, I mean, it doesn't affect me. Like it's not something that, like I cry about when I go to sleep, but it's the truth. It's this, the truth is like, I don't, I don't cross that threshold because I know what the threshold was for me. Uh, someone saying I'm a local in LA, you know, like, and now I can't even say I'm a local in LA because I'm so out of touch with all the stuff that's going on there. I'm just like a nomad now, but at the same time, it's okay. You know, like, I'm not like saying like a bad thing. But I want to give give both of y'all props for that because y'all, you know, born, you know, born and raised, I mean, not born for a kill, but raised, grew up and stayed and and still stayed and still contributing to the community. I mean, that's that's great. That's just awesome, you know. So yeah. yeah. It's good. It's good. I mean, I definitely, and I, I don't know, Kill, you might have the same like I definitely have like a personal vested interest in SBCC and our community. Like it's it's person, it's personal. Yeah, absolutely. I've been here for so long and born and raised here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It is. You know, I um last weekend I was at the Santa Barbara High School football game, went with a whole group of guys that we all graduated together and, and Paloma knows every single one of them. You know, it's really it's been really interesting helping their kids now that are that they are up at Santa Barbara City College. So, you know, that's the benefit of being able to, you know, live in this community and continue to, you know, serve the community that you get to witness like those kinds of things while it, you're like, dang, we're that old, but, but, that's you know, the part that I wasn't going to say a kill. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, the gray doesn't lie on me, man. I, I got tired of dying it, but I, I just think that how many, I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's pretty it's a special thing. It's really whimsical because that doesn't happen in, in a lot of places, you know, that you can have conversations with people that you grew up with and you, you're seeing people have success at Santa Barbara City College that you actually walk the same halls with uh, while at high school. It's a special thing. It is. You know? It yeah. really is. And it, like I said, it's, it's personal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, and it makes it really important. Mm-hmm. And no matter where you are, you're going to have that moment where you say, man, I'm getting old. But, you, but to have that to have that, and be able to look back and see the contributions you made to to, to your hood where you grew up, I mean, yeah. that, that's beautiful, man. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah th- thank you both for that, for that walk down memory lane. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Akil. <laughs> well, I will say, Hong, you, you, you got – we'll give you some stripes, though, man, because I think, you know – you probably eaten at more Mexican restaurants in Santa Barbara than, 
than the people who are local. So you 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 you've earned your stripes. Right? I, I tick boxes. Yeah, I tick boxes. There are accomplishments that I can hang my hat on, but <laughs> it's a personal thing. It's a personal thing where I don't think I just don't. I, you know, like if I if I didn't come up here, you know, like coming being dropped somewhere in as an adult is one thing where I have the resources to do all this stuff, but yeah. like. But when you are growing up someplace and you have to really scrounge for the resources, resources to do stuff. Like when I wanted to go to Melrose in LA, like if I didn't have a car as a kid, I had to take the bus with the, I had to get the homies. We'd have to take two buses to Union Station and then a third bus to get out to Melrose. I took the bus to Disneyland one time. It was four and a half hours to get to Disneyland on the bus <laughs> from LA, right? So those are the, those are the, those are the stripes that I cannot earn because I was dropped down into Santa Barbara with a job and a, and a nice, you know, nice apartment at the time, now a house and this and that. Like I, I really didn't grind for that. You know, like, like when you grind in the trenches of where are you from, that's that local. So I, I still feel like I'm a local in LA, but if someone's like, Oh, where would you go eat right now? One of the new places. I'm like, mm, I don't know. Cause I I'm can out, tell you I'm, a good Mexican restaurant in Santa Barbara, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah see? exactly. And I know some spots and I'm like, I've heard of this place. Cause I still, I still stay up to date, you know, on the internet. I heard about this place, but I haven't tried it yet. And they're like, Oh yeah, you're one of those guys, you know, like, Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, I, so I still go like every time I go to LA, I try to go to like six restaurants in a row, but then I'm going on a weekend now. So it's all busy. Like you can't just go on like a Tuesday night and go see that's a, that, so yeah, I'm all mixed up. I'm, I'm just, a, I'm just a wanderer now. I'm basically a, a nomad, which well, is, we're glad you're here, Hung. We're glad yeah, you're here. And, I, and I'm definitely glad to be here. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be here if it was some kind of conflict in my soul, but, but at the same time, like, but yeah, I, so I'll, when, maybe one day I'll feel it, but right now, yeah, it's, it's still in flux, <laughs> but enough about me. Segwaying now to uh, good eating. Speaking of Mexican food in Santa Barbara and, and other types of food, good eating. So our, our food section, good food. Paloma, if you want to kick us off, any uh, meal that you cook or go eat or any, any throughout your life? Meaningful? Well, I chuckle when you say meal that I cook because I don't cook. And but. even then you got to cook something. You got to, you know, like craft mac, mac and cheese over the stove or something like that even is even, you know. Um, my husband would beg to differ. <laughs> <laughs> he is very much the chef in our house and he he's also very much the foodie in our house and and if you are um a fan of mexican restaurants you have probably seen him at one or two in in <laughs> town because i think he's he's been to every single one as well including all the taco trucks nice so <laughs> i'm i'm not a big cook i'm i'm actually not a cook at all so i i'm not even going to try to pretend like i have a good recipe that i can make because i'm no good <laughs> hey hold on uh, i think I think we should keep a list of people who we've interviewed because now I'm I'm starting to think like, okay, this person doesn't cook, that person doesn't cook. We got a list going. No, but you can but, put and, me on the top of that list. And even if, <laughs> but even if you don't cook, I know you still eat well because I did run into you one time, you know, at Exo Burger. You that know, was pretty re good. Rest in peace, Exo Burger, no longer with us, but yes. they might be back. Yes. Oh, it closed. <laughs> it closed. It closed. Oh, I didn't. Know, I didn't realize that. It was it was quote unquote a pop up, but I think they were probably. Assuming it would be a pop-up that had more kind of steady flow because they power. were busy. Yeah, busy at times, but not at others. So yeah. Oh, oh, oh. So okay, if there's some so restaurants some in town that you love, yeah. Well, Carlitos is one of my favorite restaurants. Um, that's like if I get to choose where I'm going for my birthday and stuff, that that one is a pretty good one. Um, yeah, in terms of a special occasion, you can't go wrong with Carlitos. It's always happening outside. The chips and salsa are always flowing. Yeah. Are good. What's your what's your go-to at Carlitos? Rock shrimp tacos. Oh, those? Mm -mm. those are pretty good and the blood orange margarita am i allowed to say that 
Yes. We're okay. all adults. We're all adults. <laughs> and even the listeners are mostly adults. <laughs> um, let's see what else. Intermezzo. Have you guys been to Intermezzo? I haven't been in a long here. time. Yeah. Um, Wait, where's that at? They redid it. I don't know if it, it's like under a new owner, um, but it's kind of has this like punk flair to it now. I haven't the, been since the, what? The when, when did this happen? Yeah, it's kind. Of, it's pretty cool, but it, the food is really, really good. They were right there by El Paseo. Exactly. Uh, they, they used to be like the wine cask. I don't know if the wine cask is still a part of it, but it was I like intermezzo and the connected. Yeah, uh, but it's it's still right there in front of the wine cask. Yeah. Um, but like they it, the the vibe in there is is pretty cool. I'll have to check it out. You, I mean, that that's like my, my dog whistle saying punk rock. I'd be like, okay, I got mm-hmm. I, I need to learn more. <laughs> they have like all, the, these kind of like punk pictures on the wall and the music they're playing. And then they have this like scrolling TV of all these different artists. And and then the food on top of it is really good. Would you have uh, a go-to dish at Intermezzo? The truffle pizza is outstanding. Oh. Mm-hmm, if you like truffle. I, I love, love truffle. I love truffle too. Yeah. Um, their truffle pizza is really good. Um, sometimes they have a like filet special. Hard shell beef tacos at Rudy's. Mm. Are pretty oh, stellar. Yeah. Hey, side note, if you love truffle, I'm gonna put you on real quick. You have to try the truffle ketchup. Sounds crazy. Truffle ketchup at from Trader Joe's. It's absolutely amazing. They have truffle ketchup? Yeah. Have it's, you had it's, like the truffle potato chips or the truffle yeah. cheese from Trader Joe's? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the products actually it's it's they brought it over from it's made in italy so it it just tastes different and uh, a couple nights ago we had fries and i, I had you bu- with truffle ketchup it's like it had been in the cabinet for a while i just bought it just because it's, it was truffle and then so i was like wait a minute we have truffle ketchup open it up absolutely amazing okay, i'll have to try it i'll yeah. bring you a bottle i'll bring you a bottle okay Alexandra loves it too. Akil knows my daughter. He calls her Penelope, but her name is actually Alexandra. <laughs> so, but <laughs> tell her why I call her Penelope. Because that was one of the names that we were very seriously considering for her when I was pregnant with her. And Akil liked Penelope. So her name now for Akil is still Penelope. <laughs> I, I love that name. I love like, Alexander too. After meeting her, she, yeah, she's definitely an Alexander. Yeah. But I, uh, but I still love Penelope. I my, did I tell you that my cousin ended up naming her daughter Penelope? So we still have a Penelope in the family. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. Then. So what does your husband cook that in one dish that you is you like your favorite that he makes? Ooh, that's a tough question. My favorite thing that he makes, he makes really good carbonara, pasta carbonara. Oh. He makes really good. Mm. I mean, he's he's a really good cook and he enjoys it. So most of the things that we we eat are pretty tasty. I, I will admit, I will give him total credit for that because <laughs> unfortunately for him, I can't cook, but he he's a very, very good cook. He learned to cook from his mom and he had a roommate in college who really liked to cook also. So they would like cook in college and stuff together and he's just continued to do it. He's like one of those people who can like open the fridge and be like, okay, this is what we're going to make. And I try to like follow a recipe and it still does not turn out anything like it's supposed to. And I'm like, can you just fix it, please? Because I clearly messed it up. Great choices though. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, I'll get a recipe of pasta carbonara. I will get links to intermezzo and then also to Carlitos because I haven't had the rock shrimp tacos either. So those are pretty good. Those are pretty good. Oh, you know what we did just do recently, which was super, super fun. I don't know if either, either one of you have done it. Have you been to the sushi bar in Montecito? 
I haven't. Oh uh, no, I've been. I yeah, I've heard. Of, I've been. I've been wanting to go there. Oh my god, I yeah. would. It was. It's very non-traditional. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it 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 is a really fun experience, and mm-hmm. the sushi there is so. It was all really really good food. But if you're looking for a very traditional experience, it's not it at all. Mm. Um, I heard that place has a Michelin star too, or the chef has, has a the Michelin has star. The, the, the yeah. restaurant, yeah, with that yeah. chef has a Michelin star. Yeah. But and it, it was it, good, huh? It was really, really good. Really, really good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I've been wanting to, get, I'm, I'm excited. I've been wanting to get there. You should, you should totally go. You know, they only, they do like limited seating. So they have like three seatings a night. Mm-hmm. I think it's only like 10 or 12 people at a time and you don't get to pick anything. Everything yeah. is, you know, Omakase it's chef's choice. Yeah. Chef's choice, yep. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Um, and then they do different pairings with it and you can choose to do different pairings, but you know, it's, it's, it's definitely an experience. And for, it would be kind of a special occasion event. I think we went for my husband's 50th birthday. Oh, and then of course, Harry's, you have to love, if you're from Santa Barbara, you got to love places like Harry's. Although that back room has some stories to tell. Oh my goodness. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes, totally. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I would def- the the sushi bar was a really, really awesome experience. I would definitely recommend to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I know there were a couple concepts in that area. You know, the, the chef, Philip Franklin Lee, he did a couple things there and it seems like He's finally hit on something with the with the sushi bar, getting the Michelin yeah. star, and doing the omakase. Because it's tough running that kind of a restaurant because you only get X amount of seatings a night. You really Especially have to make sure, Montecito. yeah, you have to make sure you're full pretty much every night, and you have to make sure that the food that you serve justifies that kind of exclusivity of you only doing X amount of seatings a night. It's the chef's choice, and yep. and he's not his his background is, is fine dining, but not necessarily sushi. Where you know in right. Japan you have to work for ten years where you can hold the right knife and yada yada. So. So there's a lot that comes with that. So it's so the fact that he's delivering and and is you know able to keep it going, it, it that's that says a lot about the quality there. So yeah, it was very good. And I guess I didn't. They're about to open another one. I didn't realize it's a chain. I think there's one in Texas, mm. um, this one here. But this is the only one that has the Michelin star. And the chef is actually from L.A. He comes mm-hmm. up from L.A. to work every night. Yeah. Oh wow. Mm-hmm. Where, so where's is the other one opening? In the area, or is it somewhere just like out no, of state? Or okay, I want to say like maybe Newport Beach or something like that. Uh, yeah, it's, oh, okay, is it okay. Seattle? I don't. It's because he has he has the Top Chef pedigree, so he was a, a competitor on Top Chef. So uh-huh. now that so he's got that he's got nationwide recognition, so uh-huh. that he can if he gets the right partner, he can open up his concepts wherever he gets you know there's money to do it. So he's it. yeah he's 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 a good chef. I mean he's, good. he was he was a polarizing contestant on Top Chef for some folks because he he was a certain way, but. I mean, yeah, that, that, that's neither here nor there. The food is good. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't been yet. I haven't been yet, but I've been to some of his restaurants in LA and the food is good. Yeah, the food was definitely, it was good. And it was it was a fun experience. It was a neat experience to have too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So I'll also get that in the show notes um, as well. Thank you, Paloma. That was insightful and <laughs> illuminating as always. Uh, Akil, you want to go? You want me to go? I guess I'll go because I my pick kind of dovetails with uh, what, what Paloma's pick because Paloma mentioned huh. sushi. And I'm going on the opposite spectrum of sushi. I'm going with the the, the cheap budget sushi, <laughs> in, in not budget, but just like you know, uh, in Galita, in the in the Real Plaza where Costco is in the movie theater. There's that sushi AI, sushi I, and they do Monday nights. They have hand rolls for I think two seventy five a hand roll, and it's it's a great deal. And it, it's all it's it's like 
good enough for me because everyone's like, oh, is it good? I don't, I don't know about. And it's like, I can't say it's like, you know, sushi bar style, but I can say that for a hand roll, it gets the job done and I'm happy. So, yeah. you know, I always get, I get the salmon skin roll. I get the spicy tuna and they do a little spicy scallop, which is the little guys. And they also do what I like is they do the sushi boat. You know, the old school, like oh, giant yeah. wooden boat. Yeah, where they have yeah, like, yeah. Tempura, yeah. California rolls and teriyaki. So like, it's this big old boat. It comes out, it's enough food for like four or five people. But it's just like, it, we because LA is such a sushi town, like, yeah. like th- we've had really high end sushi in LA for a long time. So everyone, everyone, whenever they want to go get sushi in LA, you always got to take them to like, it's like omakase and all this stuff. But sometimes I just want that like gut busting, like, Give me the sushi boat and some some ghetto California rolls and then an ice cream tea <laughs> and I'm happy. So like sushi, AI really sushi. You want, I, hood, you want the hood sushi? It really scratches that That's, itch. It really does. Like <laughs> like like I don't I don't even need to see the fish in like a, a shape. I just want it ground up. Give me that spicy tuna that's ground up. You know, like like that's okay. You know, like it, it, it's something that I mean. It is. It's There's what I came up on, you know. Like I mean, California roll. I think my first sushi roll was at a supermarket. So then, there, then there was other like. Then you go to the Japanese markets and get that next level up, and then you start going to restaurants to get that next level up. So, I mean, some of the first places my my friends would take me to with their parents when I because I couldn't afford to get it myself to get these kind of meals was, you know, there's a place in LA called Tokyo Lobby that did a similar kind of thing with the big. They get a big old boat of food, and then they get some some ghetto rolls like. You know, like dynamite goes in the toaster oven and all this stuff and and like spicy tuna and stuff. And that that's that's like it's very nostalgic, but it's also really delicious. And sushi. It's actually really good. Yeah. Too. Sushi. I, I'm not I'm not saying it's not it's not it's not like it's bad food. It's really good. But but in terms of if someone's looking for that, like upper echelon, because we do have, like you said, sushi bar does omakase. There's another place. Uh, Toshi's, I think, downtown does does like a, a kaiseki, which is also like a chef's choice. So there's also high end high end Japanese food here in Santa Barbara, Arigato, Sakana, and Montecito. So there's a lot of places here too. So I'm not trying to say like like you know this is this is better than that. Is that but it, if you just have that itch and you just want solid like homey, more comfort food style Japanese, like yeah, yeah, yeah sushi is where it's at. Ichiban on the Mesa has He's the going. boat too. Oh yes, Ichiban has the boat as well. That that that's definitely worth mentioning. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Nice. You get a pick too, Akil? Yep. Yes. So I'm going since I didn't it's, realize uh, I had to just pick one. Okay. You can no, you don't no, you no, can no, pick no. as many as you want. It's just that we, you know, we like one or more, or you know, we, we don't cap it and we don't, you know, I mean, there's no limit here. <laughs> so I, I I'm gonna throw since it's Hispanic Heritage Month, I'm gonna throw I've always, I think I've already talked about it once, but I'm gonna throw Moni's out. It's close to Santa Barbara City College. So, you know, employees, if you guys are on your lunch break and need a place, a place that's close to run and grab, it's literally what I would suggest is going take an early lunch, like 11 o'clock, because in, in the height of lunch, it, the line is too long. The lines, you know, but they did expand um, their outdoor seating. They, they kind of did a little build out and, and there's more seating. So I would definitely highly recommend that Moni's. I usually go with the mole. That's one of my uh, favorite uh, dishes from from Moni's. So I'm going to throw that. And then the other recommendation, I'm going to go to a place that's even closer to City College. And it's, uh, I think it's called Markets Del Rey. It's right there where Rudy's is in that same shopping uh, center. Yeah, on Montecito Street? uh, Yeah, Mm -hmm. right there on uh, Montecito Street. And that's been my go-to for the last maybe month. Like almost every day I go down there, I get the Agua Fresca. Um, they have the full <laughs> menu. They have the, they have the, the mangonadas. They have, it's everything. And then it's a market too. So sometimes I stop on the way home, pick up some meat. 
uh, throw it on the grill. Um, their their ceviche is really good too. So those two spots are my pick for the week and it's good to support local business and things that are actually close to campus. Yeah. So you can just run off real quick. Cause sometimes you feel like, you know, it is like, you're like, dang, I want to get something to eat. But then you start thinking, you're like, um, I don't, if I go to the Mesa, I have Mesa burger, uh, you know, I have, mcdonald's there's your options are limited these are a couple spots i may get overlooked moni's uh right yeah. down there in the funk zone and the market right next to rudy's right down the street from yeah. college and that market is walkable you could theoretically yeah. walk down there and walk back in time and and yeah, yeah keel doesn't send me photos of, of drinks very often but he sent me a photo of the strawberry cream August yeah. school, was it? the was it the Fresca con crema or something like that. Yeah, fresca, yeah. Fresca con crema. Yeah, 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 that's really good. That's that's. I'll tell you a secret, man. That's my go-to when I I'm hungry, but I don't f- really feel like eating because it's really filling because of the cream and the strawberries. I get it every time, and the lady that works there, super sweet lady. So I've showed up a couple times with the other employees, and she's like, "You're bringing everyone from City College." I'm like, "Absolutely." Bam. <laughs> <laughs> we got to support local business. Yeah, and they have a full Michoacan setup oh, there. So they have, they have the if paletas, the, the paletas, any sort of dessert the, stack that you the go corn, to the, yeah. yeah, they have everything. Yeah. So in terms of there's the one on Milpas, which can get busy. The parking there can be rough. Yeah. I mean, the parking at that one can be rough too, but being, it is. we work at City College, the walk down is definitely reasonable. So definitely, you just definitely have to be a great to walk back up the steps on your way back. Oh, up. man, listen, I don't, I don't even know who just brought up walking. Those, yeah. I, I don't even know who brought up walking because I I am not walking there. <laughs> I'm like I'm getting carpool, homie. I'm like yes, I'll pick you up. We getting carpool on the way back, and that's how we doing. Just if you had to, not if you do it all the time. But yeah, because I definitely went to Rudy's and walked to Rudy's one time to get lunch, and I made I got those crispy tacos. I'm like woof. I should have only gotten one or two. Oh yeah, not the three item combo because I'm 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 in trouble right one now. Good. Yeah, <laughs> it was an emergency situation, but I didn't make it back up. <laughs> Trying to walk up those stairs after three Rudy's tacos would not be an easy, <laughs> and not be oh. an easy task, huh? Yeah, and I had some soda too. I was like, I should have cut the soda out. This is a bad idea. Not it's churning. Idea. It's churning, but I made it. So, <laughs> okay. One last thing, Hong. I know that you live down the street from me on the west side. Have you been yeah. to Don Paco's? Oh yeah, Paco track. Don that Paco's. Is- Don Paco's has been holding it down for a long time. So you know, like I do love El Zarape. You know, shout out, shout out yes. to the Gill family. But Don Paco Absolutely. does hold it down. Don Paco does hold it down for sure. And even like the El Mena, the one behind Food Line, they, yep, their hours are not man. as yeah, their hours are more non-traditional where they're not open all the time. And I think they're going to be open. But when they are, it's good. And then even on Carrillo, there's that Gloria's Gourmet. They're pretty good too. Okay. Yeah, so I- it's Carrillo and San Andres, uh, right across from the gas station. Where that 99 cent story is right? Oh, 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 yeah. Oh, yes, there's a truck always parked right there. Down yeah, the they're pretty good. Yeah, I, if you haven't checked them out yet, they're worth checking out. Too. I haven't. My, my husband, Matthew, probably has. But <laughs> it, if it weren't for him, I wouldn't have tried Don Paco's. And, yeah. and Don Paco's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a. There's a Mexican food truck that is, I don't know the name of it, but it's parked right there where the Tri County Produce. Oh, yeah. 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 I forget, but I, I love Agua de Frescas, so I just want to let everyone know if you're into Agua de Frescas, they have a pineapple Agua de Fresca that is just absolutely amazing. So if you see that truck, make sure you stop and get the, it's worth stopping. It's that good. And and the pineapple flavor, just the, yeah, my first love of, of, of something pineapple flavor 
was a pineapple paleta from the paleta carts that would come by my house when I was growing up in LA. And like, I was like, cause I always had pineapple out of the can, you know, my parents would get fresh pineapple every now and then. I don't know what it was about in paleta form where you would like, and there'd be chunks of pineapple in it too. Oh, yep. it just, it's, I was just, it was like another dimension. I was like, I don't know what it is about this, but this is heaven right now. And, and ever since then, that's like my true nostalgia is I'll, I'll go to like, now I go to Michoacan, get the pineapple paleta the and all that. Way. So, so, so that's just that the way that pineapple flavor just hits like, Oh yeah. That's what it yeah. is. I believe that's, you, man. You can come was, hang out. I live right by Lacumba Junior High. They're there after school every day. Oh. With, with, the, little, with the little cards. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Segue nice. now into uh, higher learning. So Paloma, piece of culture. Yeah. Could be anything. TV, movie, music, uh, book, anything. Like, you like know, favorite? favorite now or growing up or something that really kind of changed the way you think about things set you on a path Paul was an avid reader or she used to be an avid reader i think she even used to be in a book club so i know you can i know you got something in the database <laughs> uh okay so books 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 well yeah i do love to read i haven't had as much time to read recently but i do definitely love to read Historical fiction is usually my favorite. Um, I like to read books a lot about historical women. One of my very favorite books was Michelle Obama's book. I mean, that book was outstanding. I love that book. Alice Hoffman is also one of my favorite authors. She writes a lot about women. They're usually sort of unique women. They're kind of, what is the right genre called? Uh, Like magic realism? Magical realism, yeah. Magical realism. the, yeah. the practical magic stuff. Exactly, uh, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. So she's one that I really, really like. But she also wrote one called The Dove Keepers, w- which took place about 2000 years ago. And that was my first Alice Hoffman book. And I love that book too. Those are good choices. We can we can unwrap those a little bit in terms of the magical, in terms of the magical realism and the historical fiction. I mean, is is there a piece of it that kind of resonates with you in terms of tying it to current times or just kind of seeing how people lived in the in the in the so i was actually a history major in college so i love the thought of like thinking about how people lived you know is something that i really like and and i realized that that i like reading about women who played unique roles in history or who did something that was out of the ordinary or something that made a significant contribution is something that I've, I never really would have thought about it until I kind of looked back at all the books that I've read and realized that that seems to be the thing that I pick over and over and over again. So I do really love history. And I, and I really like when I read, I really try to read things that are more fun. I have a hard time reading more serious books, I think, because I feel like I've focused so much at work that when I go home and read I, I want it to be something that is maybe not work-related, that is something that's just sort of not something I have to think about a lot, but can just enjoy, you know, like watching a good movie where you can kind of check out and just enjoy it, enjoy it for the story. And so those tend to be the kind the kinds of books that I usually choose to read. And, and those nuggets of wisdom are there, you know, like in terms of you read scholarly journal articles or you read those quote-unquote fun books, you call them. I mean, they, they, a lot of them have similar morals, similar ideas, similar things that are trying to express. It's just kind of the medium in which they choose to express it via, right. you know, via parable narrative flow or, or just direct to the point. I have research, I have data, I have facts. So it's, it's really just about the reader is up to the reader to kind of pull that stuff out. 
do you just read the surface to say that you read it and okay, you got this point A to point B, or did you pull out that deeper wisdom? And and so that's really kind of it's a good exercise as a reader to to really understand that when we have the reason this is higher learning and we're asking you to take anything that you love is because it's not just what the, the piece itself, it's what you extracted from it that made it right. so important. And so I mean, especially with the magical realism and historical fiction, I like that kind of stuff because we've 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 forgotten a lot about that the mysticism and the spirituality that kind of drove, you know, ancient times. I mean, like, like we, you know, we know all about religion, but we don't know all about, you know, like the other, other traditions before kind of, uh, you know, various religions kind of took the sole focus away from other kind of traditions and stuff too, you know, in terms of, you know, indigenous peoples and, and, and all, all the kind of other various spirituality things like just me, me, I'm lucky that I have my mom because my mom is a, you know, relatively uneducated, you know, refugee from Vietnam. And she can tell me a lot of stories and a lot of like, like superstitions and stuff that I wouldn't know about. And, 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 and as a result of over the years, I, I believe in a lot of that stuff now, you know, like I'm not sitting here, like making sure that, you know, when I play basketball, I don't step on a ghost and roll my ankle. Cause she has said that a couple of times in the past, but at the same time, I am cognizant of quote unquote, good luck and bad luck and the things that you do that can affect your position on the scale of good luck and bad luck, you know? So, so those yeah. kind of things. And no, I, I, mean, I feel like I could see him from the magical realism. Yeah. It, it's, it was totally people's way of explaining things in the world that sometimes seem inexpl- inexplicable. And the thing that becomes like super fascinating to me, and I'm going to become a, you know, totally dorky for a minute is like, when you start to look at the connections between all the different religions, and even like you were saying, the pre-established religions even the connections there and how there's so many similarities and there's so many things in common and we could learn so much from learning more about that you know in terms of being open-minded to other people and and other cultures and other religions learning about the similarities that everything has together and and the commonalities and the reasons that people not necessarily the reasons that people believe, but, you know, purpose that spirituality and religion had and has had in people's lives, I think is really, it's really fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. And in terms of translating that, I mean, we talk about, you know, equity, diversity, and inclusion, those kind of, you know, belonging and all that stuff, like giving, giving that equity lens and giving folks the, the elevating those perspectives that you might think of as, you know, way too different or weird or something like like understanding that it's not like you said it's not just a way to explain it's a way to justify one's existence i mean my mom has nothing had nothing to guide has nothing to guide her besides what she knows about you know the ancient customs and traditions in terms of how she's living her life she she you know like she doesn't have a book because she can't read she doesn't have someone she can write she can't write she only has the oral tradition that she knows and the things to guide her in that way but that's as propelled her through her entire life and has kept her on this whatever path that she made for herself and has justified that existence. So it's 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 one of those things where you have to carve out a path for yourself in this world. And if if no one is there to mentor you and kind of lay that path out for you, then you kind of use the ways and the of the world of, of how you think the world works and you create that path yourself. And there's some and there's there's beauty in that. And Absolutely. there's beauty in and elevating everyone's perspective in that way in terms of you, I can't look at someone else. I mean, personally, I don't look at anyone else and be like, oh man, you're, you're totally crazy. Leave nice away. I think of it more of like, you chose that path for a reason. And even if it's at, in the moment, maybe not optimal, eventually, if, if you keep 
you know, if your worldview and your everything is, is right, then you'll come around and it'll, it'll work itself out. You know, like Akil says a lot, you're kind of where you, where you're supposed to be and, and it'll, things will work out how kind of how they're supposed to be. And, and so how you kind of justify that to yourself and say, okay, that's, I just got to keep going. Like, how do you, how do you do that? How do, how do we all do that and say, we're on the right path. We should keep going, or we need to check ourselves and flip it. Like, what is that turning point, that crux? And I feel like the lessons of the past and lessons of, of great, great books and stuff, there, there was kind of help, help along that path. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, see, excellent. (laughs) (laughs) I, I mean, if they're okay. So I guess the next question would be, in terms of Alice Hoffman, if there's a book, an entry point to Alice Hoffman that you would give folks, was it the Practical Magic series or would it be? Well, the book that... I think it depends. The Practical Magic series is a fun, yeah, pretty fun it's... series. And most people have probably actually seen the movie too, right? Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. That's the, the basis for the movie with, um, what's her name? Um, Nicole Kidman. Yes. And is it Sandra Bullock? Yeah, I, I think you're right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot. I totally forgot about that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's yeah, definitely a, a good, good entry. Wow, Evan Rachel Wood was in that too. I forgot about that. Oh. <laughs> was she? Yeah, it says it says so on when I just googled it real quick. Oh. So. <laughs> uh, he's he's a he's a Ravenclaw. <laughs> <laughs> I have I haven't sorted yet officially. So <laughs> he hasn't officially declared. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm, I'm unhoused at the moment. um yes that's a good one i'm trying to think what the she's written some really interesting ones i think i mean and some of her books are so different you know some of her books are about like american women some of her books she does write about jewish women there's often like you know lineage of women that she writes about practical magic is kind of like the the fun one though she writes for um young adults too. I've re- read some of her, her young adult books and those are, they're just really interesting books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would definitely get a link in the show notes for Alice Hoffman. Cause yeah, I, I we used to recommend her books a lot when I was at the library. So I, I remember. Oh, did you? Yeah. Cause she did like the rules of magic. She's done a lot of books about rules of magic and kind of, so when kids are first getting into that kind of mysticism and stuff, like I'm not, I'm not trying to get them out like, you know, demonology and all this stuff right away. So you got to start with like the gentle, you know? So yeah. Cause I don't want to get in trouble with parents either. Cause yeah. yeah. You gave no, my son pagan, that's... you know, you gave my, my, my child pagan writings. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not trying to roll. And you, you know, I think with her books, you can kind of take out of it what you want, you know, you can dive deeper into some of the, the magic, real magical realism parts of it. And you can also, there's like a lot of layers to, to her stories. And so I think you can kind of, take the pieces out of it that, that you want. The Dove Keepers was my favorite, favorite one, but I know that one's a little bit more historical. And so some people don't like that one as much, I think, because that one's a little bit more of a historical and historical book. I'll throw links up to both and uh, let, let, the, let the listeners decide. Thank you. Thank you, Paloma. Are people going to vote? <laughs> no, no, they, <laughs> we don't. I haven't got any feedback yet. Maybe one day. Um, I, I'll, I'll go next. Uh, just because it's like, again, it's segueing into um, what Paloma mentioned. Uh, my pick for this episode is there was a talk the LA Public Library just did uh, with uh, the brothers Hernandez, uh, Jaime, Gilbert, and Mario. They have started writing a comic in 1982. So it's been 40 years, uh, the comic Love and Rockets. You know, we talk about Hispanic Heritage Month. And Los Bros Hernandez are kind of the pioneers 
or one of the pioneers of of the kind of style underground independent comics movement. They they were self-published to start and now are published by Fantagraphics. But um, the Love and Rockets books, and you know there is a band called Love and Rockets, and they actually took their name from the comics. People always get it twisted, like Love and Rockets, you know, like the the comic took the name from the band, but no, it's the exact opposite. That's how that's how kind of entrenched in the culture the Hernandez brothers are. And and for folks that don't know, Jaime Gilbert and Mario, they grew up in Oxnard. So they're they're predominantly known as Southern California, LA comics artists and writers, but they grew up in Oxnard and their stories kind of pull from what they know. So I was gravitated to their stories a little later in my life, you know, my twenties and stuff. So they've already been writing for, you know, 20, 30 years by the time I started, I got their books and it, because they wrote a lot about the punk scene, the punk scene in Oxnard, the punk scene in LA, they're the um, Jaime's books. Uh, they're called Locas. So it's um, send the fictional town of hoppers and hoppers is an analog, you know, Horta hoppers is an analog for Oxnard. And then, you know, Jaime now lives in LA. So he's, he has a lot of stories about going to LA so the Love and Rockets books are kind of split into two stories where Gilbert writes about this. Uh, his universe is kind of like the Palomar stories. It's like a fictional um, uh, Central or South American, Central American town that just, it's a, it deals with a lot of magical realism. People throw around magical realism a lot to talk about Gilbert's work. Uh, whereas Jaime is just straight up, yeah, he tells like the stories of kids living in the city, you know, kids living in, in hoppers and what they have to deal with in terms of punk rock and, and, and cholo life low riders, you know, like he, he talks, he touches on all those things. So as a kid who grew up in East LA and, and, and there's a lot of analog experience, there's a lot of connections there that I can make with his work instantly. It was just like, it was love at first sight. And it's, it's just, it's just a seminal work because I grew up, you know, I got into comics after I watched the first Batman movie in 89. So I was reading superhero stuff and, you know, I was also reading like Kung Fu comics from, from Hong Kong. So I was always into kind of underground comics and it wasn't until like, you know, I got a little older that I started really got into him because there was a movie, you know, American Splendor about Harvey P. Carr, who's writing stories about comics in Ohio, you know, so it was a Midwestern existence. It was one of those like slice of life things where he just writes stories about his life. And it was the thing where I read the books and they were fine, but they didn't connect with me because I don't have any connection to what life in Ohio, you know, like it, it doesn't really speak to me. But Jaime stories and Gilbert stories to a lesser extent, because, yeah, I don't have relatives you know, in Central America or anything like that, but I still kind of connected to, to his stories as well because of the magical realism, because of the mysticism and spirituality that he imbues in his tales. But Jaime's tales of, of like, he was at the forefront of Nardcore. If you know about, you know, the punk rock scene in Oxnard, Nardcore is a huge deal in the history of, of hardcore music and punk rock. And he was there when it started. So his stories are really at the ground level. And then also that connection of punk rockers and cholos in the same family and the tension and that kind of that creates and how, you know, like they, they kind of coexist, but they're totally separate worlds. And I would kind of tangentially bump into that because I would hang out with all the punk kids and they would go, we'd go to their house and all of a sudden they'd be like, you know, their cholo brothers or cholo cousins would be hanging out. So I'd get a little bit of that as well. So it was just like really, really spoke to me and, and they're really great stories and, and now seminal works in, in the canon. So, I mean, they've been doing it for 40 years. There's something you said for when you started it and yeah, they're, they're hall of famers. So hmm. you know, Los Bros, Los Bros Hernandez, I'll put some links in terms of anthologies that you can pick up on Fantagraphics and um, it, you know, the, you should read the stories in order, but at the same time, because there's, they, they go, the characters age as you read the books, you can kind of jump in at any point, And then if you want to go farther back or ahead, you can kind of work with that too. So yeah, that's my pick for this episode. Good choice. Appropriate yeah. for a 17 year old. Yes, I would say so. Because I mean, 17 year olds know a lot more about the world than they will tell you about. So in terms of to my mom, I was like, you know, hands folded at the dinner table this and that, but behind the scenes, I was like, 
already, you know, watching people get bottles broken over their heads and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I would say yes. And I have the books in my office if you actually want to borrow them because the they're, they're, you can buy the individual trade paperbacks, but the, the stories have been collected into larger volumes that are kind of out of print. But I did pick them up on eBay. So I have, I have a couple of them oh, if you want to. Cool. Yeah, I would say I definitely. Then, yeah, come find me. Or I'll, or I'll just find you and I'll, I'll drop them off. She's in the student service building. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, nice. Akil, what you got? Well, I'm going to go. Um, we Before we started actually recording the show, we were talking about Harry Potter. So I'm going to go to Harry Potter because um, one of the best audiobooks I've ever listened to since we're talking about books uh, is uh, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone by J.K. Uh, I think it's J.K. Rowling. Yeah. Yeah. She says rolling. (laughs) Yeah. Is it rolling? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, everyone knows Harry Potter. I don't really need to explain too much about it, but literally if you're into audiobooks and and if you're into Harry Potter, you definitely have to listen to it. It's just so well done. Um, And so that definitely is my, my choice for the week. I mean, you know, obviously I'm a Harry Potter guy. I'm a Gryffindor house. You know how we do (laughs) You already know. You already know what house. Does the in. author read the audiobook mm-hmm. in that one? Yeah, it's it's really good. If you're going on a long trip and you need something just to listen to, um, um, def I would definitely uh, advise that. We're I'm taking vacation later in the week, um, or actually next week since it's Friday, um, and I'm driving up to Monterey, so I'm looking forward to getting into that uh, next week on the trip. So. Yeah. And Hong, you have to, you actually have to actually take the test. <laughs> I still need to finish all the books. I got to be honest, full disclosure, full disclosure. I've never read all the books. I've seen all the movies, but I have not read all the books. Yeah. yeah. They are pretty good. And in terms of, I worked at a library. And so if I was still working at a library, someone would come smack me upside the head right now. because like, You, you work- haven't read all the Harry Potter books. Yeah. I mean, because we, we would do midnight openings at the library, not even at the yeah. bookstore. Yeah. When the, when the last book came out, we were open late so we could check books out for kids. Like it was like I was there for 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 the ground level of that. And I saw how important it was to folks, how it changed folks lives. Because I mean, there seriously. were kids. Yeah, there were kids yeah. that came back that I recognized that when they were in junior high reading those books, still reading the books in high school and then going on and, and you know, to, to bigger and better things. And yeah, it was. Well, it's insane. I mean, the first book was written over 20 years ago, right? Yeah. And it's yep. still, I mean, I mean, what... incredibly popular. Yeah. And that's the piece that to me that I just, I can't, I just, this leaves me puzzled is how did she, how did this all come from her mind? <laughs> from her brain. Yeah. It's just absolutely amazing. And, yeah. and the thing about it is there's a lot of, there's a lot of young adult and kids books that are popular that aren't well-written. These are books that are very well-written and very well-crafted in terms of, from a literary perspective, like if you read, like reading the books, you learn about a lot of words, you learn about good sense and structure. Like they're just really well-written books. Like that's, that's why things like Tolkien and, you know, like Chronicles of Narnia and stuff, that's why they really hold up is because when you read them, you feel like you're having a good time, but you're also learning, you know, Harry Potter was like that where, like I said, I read all the books, so full disclosure, but the books I have read have been a, a, a rollicking good time. And I feel like, I feel like just the, the, the way they're structured and the way they flow, like I, it, it's, it's teaching me about writing as well. So, hmm. Yeah. Hey, Paloma, what's your house? Uh, I'm pretty sure I was Gryffindor when I did it. Really? Okay, I can see uh, that. Well, what would you think I was, Akil? Well, now I want to know what was the what's the really for? <laughs> <laughs> I 
He was about to put his sorting hat on. Give him a second. Uh-huh, Hold on. He's uh-huh. got to put Maybe it on. Maybe I should do it again. Don't yeah, say I, Slytherin, Nikhil. Don't yeah, say like, Slytherin. Like, I think you should do it again. Do it again and tell me if you get it, if it's different. Okay, I will. Because I won't tell you what I think until after you take the next test. I have no choice but to be a Gryffindor. You what? I said I have no choice to be a Gryffindor. I'm not anything other than that. Yeah, I'm not anything other than that. I'm pretty sure I was. I should ask Alexandra because she uh, was the huge Harry Potter fan. I mean, kind of to what you were saying, Hong. Alexandra uh, doesn't love to read, which was super different from her brother who did. Um, But the books that she did read all the way through, every single one, even the play, Oh, the play was tough to get through, right? I heard, yeah. Read, like read even them twice and still is all of the Harry Potter books. I mean, that is the thing that she got her, that got her to read. So I think mm. what you just said is really, really true. But she's the one who did the sorting, the uh, sorting with me. And I'm pretty sure it was Gryffindor, but I'll go back mm. and ask her. She'll remember, I bet. What, She'll be like, no, you aren't mom. <laughs> <laughs> what house was she? Gryffindor. Yeah, yeah. I'll get a follow up and I'll definitely put that in the show notes. I'll put it. <laughs> <laughs> but how you really? Yeah. <laughs> I'll put Paloma's real house. I'll have to put the emphasis <laughs> that Akio put on it. So. Yeah, yeah, real. <laughs> drop, drop a few Y's on that. <laughs> like really, 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 really. Emphasis noted. Yes. Yes. <laughs> thank you, Keel, and thank you, Paloma, for thank you for coming on the show. It was an honor, honor to have you. Uh, before we say goodbye, any other uh, final words? Anything you want to, any plugs, anything coming up that you want to mention or? Um, not that I can think of. Uh, just happy to be here. Appreciate the invite and the patience with me actually <laughs> finally it was, coming. It, was it wasn't that bad. It was fun, it right? It wasn't that. No, yes. you guys are, are super fun and easy to talk to. So thank you. Yeah. We're, we're, we're glad you could do the show. We're also glad and overjoyed that you are the vice president of student affairs so absolutely thank absolutely you very much we hope, hope for many more years here at sbcc for you so you can you know rock it to the wheels fall off as they say right i, I like it <laughs> you know that song yep <laughs> <laughs> so yes until until next time yeah right, thank, thank you, you guys thank, thank you, you. Thank you as always and until next time this is the voices take care y'all